As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to The Parent Hit. Communicating well with your child is the key to a happy and functioning relationship, something we've explored often in this podcast. Being a good parent relies on understanding what your child might be feeling and the ability to have sometimes difficult or awkward conversations with them. It's something that parents build on as their children grow up, but when children reach the teenage years, it often suffers a bit of a setback. Children who were once open and chatty often retreat into themselves and become very difficult to talk to. But if you maintain an open dialogue, might this transform the teenage years? My guests today are experts on teenagers. Dr. Angharad Rudkin, a clinical psychologist and journalist, and Tanith Carey are the authors of What's My Teenager Thinking? A practical guide to what's going on in the adolescent mind. So welcome, Tanith and Angharad. Thanks so much for joining me today. Talking today about teenagers. You've just written a book all about teenagers. In fact, it's called What Is My Teenager Thinking? I think what every parent of a teenager really, really, really wants to know. But what I'd like to talk about today is communicating with your teenager. And because the more I do these podcasts, the more I realize that what lies at the heart of successful parenting is amongst other things communication if you can communicate with your baby it's so much easier to be a parent if you can communicate with your toddler with your teenager parenting is so much more easy but it sometimes becomes a little more difficult to communicate with teenagers because of you know the changes that are going on they tend to get a bit more withdrawn is is this the case Angharad? Yes absolutely they because they're making them move away from you in terms of being entirely dependent on you as a parent then they're going to shut themselves off at times they're going to talk about things more with other people so it can feel like they're pushing you away and that's the exact time when you need to I suppose lean in a little bit more in a very sensitive way with teenagers so if the door is closed and they've been up in their room for an hour two hours and you're wondering what on earth is happening are they okay go and knock on the door but wait until they say come in because we have this awful way as parents are just knock knock and the handle's opened and you're in before they've even realised so go in to say do you, do you want a cup of tea can I make you hot chocolate or anything so just you might have to as a parent keep moving in to communicate with your teenager but also be very sensitive to their needs if they are absolutely disinterested in talking to you you've got to respect that you are no longer the person that they want to listen to most of all you know they've got friends they've got vloggers they've got all sorts that they want to listen to and learn from more so I would say that that's the key and then also listen more than you talk 
um, with teenagers. They don't need lectures. They don't need big, long monologues about what life was like for us when we were their age. They just need you to listen and hear. Do you, Tanith, you've, you've got teenagers yourself. Do you think they find it hard to communicate when they become teenagers or they find it hard to communicate with their parents? I think that as parents, we're a particularly panicked generation and I think we're very anxious about the future. I think we've been made to be anxious about academics and future life chances. So I think what we've tended to do is act like kind of life coaches. So, you know, if your teenager says, oh, you know, I haven't done my homework or I don't know where to start, we're sort of full of advice about how to get them moving again. Whereas in fact, they actually just need to sort of just to be heard, to be able to process it themselves, to be able to speak out without judgment. Um, I think that we, because of this anxiety, we've become quite a critical generation of parents. And I think that criticism is really what corrodes the teen and parent relationship. And I think we have to be so, so careful of that. And just because to uh, to the mind of an adolescent who's forming their personality and, and their self-identity, what you think is a helpful suggestion can be heard by, by them as the, the, the idea that they're not good enough or you're disappointing them or nothing they can do is good enough. And that's when you're really going to have start of quite a serious separation unless you monitor yourself and how you're coming across to your teenager. And what is the way of getting that across to your teenager that you aren't critical? Because presumably going, oh, I'm, I'm really relaxed. I'm, I'm super, super relaxed. Is, that's not necessarily going to do it. What can you do to impress upon your child that it is okay for them to be them and that you will love them regardless and that you acknowledge that, you know, mistakes will be made and that's fine? Yeah, I mean, it is a state, it's become a bit corny about unconditional love. It's not that your love for them is not conditional on how many A-stars they get or whether they're in the netball team or whether they've won this or that, that it just has to be an acceptance of who they are and an appreciation. I think also what's happening in our schooling system is that we've started to value our children on an increasingly narrow set of um, of kind of values. So we value them if they make us look good or they're doing really well academically. I just think we need to accept them as the whole person and, and also to encourage them to and really appreciate the other skills that they have outside those academic achievements. You know, just, you know, being a thoughtful person or being a good friend or, you know, helping in the community or being, you know, do you know what I mean? It, it doesn't all have to be measurable what they're good at, you know, and I, I just think an appreciation for them as the as the rounded person, I think, you know. And I think actions speak louder than words as well. I think, you know, you can say as much as you want, like you say, Marina, oh, I'm just a, oh, I'm so laid back and I'm this kind of person. But actually, it's how you act. And if you're the kind of person who goes around being very harsh on yourself and being very critical of yourself and very demanding of yourself, and then actually they've grown up with a message that, you know, I, I am not as you know good enough as I am. I've got to keep striving and achieving. And you can say to your child as much as you want then, oh, don't worry, it's not about what you achieve, it's about who you are. But they learn by watching. And if they're observing you being incredibly stressed and demanding of yourself, then that's how they're going to understand. This is this is how I need to be. So how you role model being in, in general is really important. And how you role model being with your co-parent as well, you know, how you resolve conflict how you put up with their annoyingnesses you know all of those sort of things children are watching and teens watch an awful lot even though they're doing it quietly from behind their phone yeah i, I can see that do you think that girls find it easier to communicate than boys that's a really interesting question and i think girls we think of girls as being more 
verbally sophisticated in general but actually I you know a lot of the parents that I speak to their relationship with their teenage sons is very very close in terms of communication and, and chat so I would say it's very dependent on the child and on the parents and on the relationship boys can tend to be a bit more physical so they can express their feelings a bit more through you know slamming of a door or a fist on the table or so maybe you'll have to sort of figure out what they're trying to express if they're just being a bit more kicky you know as they walk past the sofa or something they give it a kick you know it's, it's kind of trying to figure that out really but in the same way um helping boys out of a difficult time can be very physical as well so going for a run with them going for a walk with them anything like that can be as effective as a chat sitting down with a, with a female teenager mm. yeah i mean i think boys are socialized from quite an early age even now uh to be manly and to mask their emotions so i think we had to work hard on not stereotyping them and not praising them for not crying and you know and being really accepting of any emotions that that make us feel uncomfortable and just to let them express that I think even now there's a little bit of a gender gap between how we some of us treat our boys and some of our girls well that was going to be my next question about whether there's anything that we can do before they get to the teenage years to, to teach them about communication or is that something that they can be really good communicators when they're eight nine ten and then because of the hormonal changes because of the changes that are going on in their brain when they become teenagers it's sort of natural that they sort of regress and, and lose all of that do you think as parents we can there is anything we can do to make our lives easier especially when it comes to communication that we can teach our children before they get to be teenagers Tanith what do you think yeah I just think it is as I say just of allow, allowing them emotional conversations giving them an emotional vocabulary you know maybe going in in uh, every night for five minutes just with your son and just talking about how his day's been letting him talk not interrupting um, just making him making it clear that no no emotions are not allowed really and I, I think just doing as the same way you do that with your daughter and expect her to cry and, and be you know allow that to happen with your son as well just to, to not examine our own stereotypes of what we think a boy should be and what we think a girl should be and just train that throughout throughout their childhoods and I think communication skills are taught from literally day one, aren't they? When we're there with our babies, you know, we're giving such important messages when we just gaze at our babies that actually you are important to me and you matter to me. And so I think by the time we get to teenage years, they'll have had 11, 12, 13 years experience of communication and they won't lose that. So even if they don't communicate in a way that they used to, they haven't lost the art of communication. It's more that they're choosing to act in a different way and maybe their lack of communication is a communication in itself it's a way of saying back off I need to sort this out by myself so they will never lose that skill of communication you know it's like building a, a house really those first few years of the foundations and the teenage years is when you're getting kind of to the real the storms battering the house and you're just having to trust that actually all those foundations are just going to keep everyone okay and then once you get out of the adolescent years you've got a fantastic relationship together again then so just keep role modeling good communication with them even if you don't get much back and say so just give them time so they won't just want to talk about feelings uh, on your timing it will usually be at the least convenient time for you you're doing eight thousand things and your teenager comes in and slumps in a chair next to you and says oh you'll never guess what's happened and you're like oh i've got all these emails can you tell me in a minute? But that's the time that you've got to drop everything and just say, tell me about it. Because that's your one chance. You know, if you shut them up then, then 
they're, they're probably going to shuffle off and not want to talk to you again for another few days. So that's not to put pressure on you as a parent, but more to say grab these moments when you can because they will communicate with you. You've just got to keep an eye out for it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we all have the same amount of time in the day. It's perhaps how, how we prioritise it. I mean, something I do with my girls is if they walk in, I mean, even if I am in the middle of a deadline, I will physically put the, la- the, the lid down on my laptop. So to say, you know, OK, what do you want to say? let's chat so otherwise it looks like i'm physically building a wall and i'm not interested so it's a small i think small gestures like that add up and presumably and i find this with my children there are times there are things that we're doing where they're much more likely to talk so especially with my son i find sitting down with him and looking at him in the eyes going you know let's talk about your day he just doesn't really want to talk but very often we'll have amazing conversations when we're in the car and we're not looking at each other we're both looking ahead but here, you know, and, and also it's that sort of time to sort of reflect those silences are okay when you're in the car. Whereas when you're sitting opposite each other, having a cup of tea, it's sort of those silences get a bit awkward, even if you are related. So presumably it's, I mean, I was told once that sort of walking and talking, I always find with good friends of mine, actually we get such great conversations if we go for a walk or even a run together, because I don't know, I just, that it kind of, it seems easier to talk. And there's that combination of your body moving, but your mind's quite still. It's that sort of lovely point, isn't it, that comes with walking or, you know, we don't do the dishes together anymore, do we? But, you know, the olden days, you just stood there side by side doing the dishes together. Something where you're moving, it means your brain is far more calmer and able to sort of come up with things and and communicate. So I think with boys in particular, just grabbing the moment to do that, whether it's just a, a little walk, take the dog for a walk, as you say, driving somewhere, or even just, you know, I'm no footballer, but kicking a ball outside with your son, anything like that, it's just a way of potentially opening up conversations in a in a way that isn't face to face, because teenagers find it very overwhelming when you're face to face, there's so much information that they're having to take in about your eyes and your face and how you're looking and how you're sitting that it can really, you know, they're pretty full up anyway with thoughts that that can just be very overwhelming for them. So if they don't have to see your face, then that's 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 a great start. And, and if you have a child that just doesn't want to talk, do you just let them be or do you persist? And obviously there's two different things, you know, sitting going, no, you will tell me what's bothering you versus let's try again tomorrow, let's try again tomorrow. I mean, how, how should you ever just accept that they're not very communicative or is that not a good thing to accept? I would say it's dependent on how they've always been. If they've always been quite private, quiet, self-contained children, then, you know, you can probably tolerate a lot more quietness from them as teenagers than you would if they'd been ever so chatty and have just suddenly pulled back. You know, with the work that I do, the therapy work that I do is often, you know, I say you could take a horse to water, but it doesn't mean it's going to drink. You know, I could be sitting in a session with a, a teenager and if they don't want to be there and they don't want to talk, you know, even 20 years in of doing this job, there's very little magic that I can do that's going to make them want to talk but having said that most teenagers are actually desperate to talk you just need to sort of create the right environment so if you if you sense that something is going on with your teenager and you said is there anything going on do you want to talk and they said no and the door's been closed and that's been it do try like you say do try again another time or just try and create the context where they would be more likely to talk to you so whether you go into their room and start tidying up a little bit or just again it's the doingness rather than the sitting down face to face yeah or invite them to do something with you and I mean sometimes the teenagers think that we don't like them very much and then we don't want to spend time with them so I think send messages that we actually do we do like them we're always on their side you know we like the person they've become 
sometimes they might be um, separating themselves off as a way of protecting themselves from you so just remind them like you know come down and do some baking come down and sit with me come down I mean with a girl maybe it's easier but I mean sometimes I just have you know cuddles with my girls and just because it just kind of it just relaxes them they have teenagers now they have so much cortisol and stress that just build up built up with them and it's 24 hours because of like social media and academics and all the rest of it and they just need a chance to just kind of almost be babied again almost you know I mean it might be harder with a boy but with a girl I mean they just you can always feel them just de-stress in your arms you know and just because they're as big as you doesn't mean we should stop you know to them we're still their parents we're still their mother you know so let's just try and they do want that connection you know in fact they're they're thirsty for that physical touch don't you find you know they really do want that yeah absolutely and you know with teenage boys uh, tickles i know it just sounds a bit mad but you know if they're not so much up for the hugs then just a bit of tickling or some very gentle wrestling with them you know it's a kind of it's, it's like a very animalistic way of connecting with them and that is so important well it's interesting i see with my son like he's desperate for hugs with his dog and maybe that's part of that and the dog is like obsessed with me so just wants to hug me and i just want to hug my son it's this sort of circle of neediness <laughs> yeah that's such a good point though about pets and what a wonderful therapeutic effect they can have on a teenager you know they don't talk back they don't judge you can cuddle them they get that contact so you know if you're the kind of family that will it is a, as an animal loving family then do think about that you know as, as a way of just kind of as a companion for your teenager yes and dog walks are brilliant as a way of having a chat I've always wondered why more kind of secondary schools don't have dogs in schools because so much evidence is coming out that actually, especially in these high octane, high stress situations, having an animal that does exactly what you just said, Tanith, you know, doesn't judge, doesn't answer back, is just so beneficial. I'd love if I could send my son to school with a dog. I feel that it just makes life so much easier. Absolutely. And you know what? A lot of teenagers that I've worked with who have quite severe anxiety having pets and having these therapy pets and just it it has made such a difference to them it really has there's there's a lot of evidence saying that it's that it's really good but you've got to have the right kind of dog or the right kind of pet I I wanted to ask a little bit about the kind of heightened emotions when it comes to communication because very often it's not just the unwillingness to communicate it's that extreme fury and the sort of I hate you and the slamming the door how normal is that and does it really mean I hate you because I think that must be I mean I haven't been told I hate you yet by my children but I am dreading that moment is is that going to happen probably it will yeah (laughs) oh god I think I might cry when it happens. Do you know what? No, but don't take it personally. That's the answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Don't take it personally. And it's so easy to say and so hard to do, isn't it? But actually, what they're doing is they are. I mean, you're their you're their punch bag. You know, they're at school all day and they're probably trying to be amazing students and compliant, and then they're trying to fit in with their peers and they're trying so hard to do this and that and that. And the one place that they can come back and just there is at home with you so actually it's a sign of how secure they are with you that they can throw all this stuff at you and you're not going anywhere you know you're staying there and i love you and that's really hurtful and you've you know i'm just need to go and have a little cry right now but i understand you're having a tricky time so you know let's come back to this at another time so it's it's actually a sign of them being able to take out things on you that they can't because they're trying so hard to be so good everywhere else and do you think they should see you cry 
if they've if they've said something that really hurts you or do you think it's best that you sort of get over that on your own and sort of compose yourself oh it's i mean it's so interesting is it Tanith and i've chatted about this a lot in terms of remember for the other book as well should children see their parents cry and as a child and as a teenager it's deeply distressing to see your parent cry it, you know it because as a child you just don't know what to do with that it's just too sort of overwhelmingly awful but that's not necessarily to say that they shouldn't see an emotional impact on you you're only human you you've got all these feelings so i think there's crying and there's crying isn't there and i think um you know certainly being able to if you're crying because they've just said i hate you then saying to them look i'm i'm really upset right now I'll just go away and I'll, I'll I'll have a I'll have a little cry and I'll come back. So you're not saying, look what you've made me feel, look what you've done, but you're letting them know there's a consequence to saying things like that, and that yes, you can manage them. You're not expecting them to manage it for you, but they will be left with an understanding that ah, actually, I think I did push it a little bit there. Yeah, no, I think just giving them a sense of empathy that you do have feelings and that not everything they say is is it can be said, you know that yeah you are a person but I mean I, I think if you cry in the moment as Gareth says that's probably a little bit of a tricky situation and also I think that um, teenagers often feel very blamed for upsetting their parents um, and for rows or kind of parents being upset so that can add an actual emotional burden I mean I don't think you should be dishonest with them but I think you should measure how you tell them how you feel about that what they've said and and Tanith, when you have that experience of that, I hate you, slam the door, how should you be dealing with it? Is this a time when you, five deep breaths, let's all calm down, or should you give them a day to, what, what is it? And how, how soon should you then go and speak to them about what they've done? Or should you indeed, or should you just let it go? Right. So I think that's a really interesting point. I think in the moment when they say I hate you, I think there's nothing much to be said because they are in a state of emotional arousal. Their amygdala is completely fired up. Um, their logical brain isn't working. If you then become equally upset, you're, and your amygdala is up and you're in that st- same state of fight or flight, anything you say is like pouring you know, oil on fire. It's just not going to work. So um, what I would do is I would say that I'm removing myself from the situation until my teenager had calmed down. And then I think what's really important about uh, parent and teenager relations is, is sort of like that rescue and repair. So I think if you are not talking to your teenager for a day, then that's quite actually quite passive aggressive. It's not really dealing with the matter at hand and you're not actually going back to your, your, uh, you, your kind of relationship. And a day is quite a long time in the, in the life of a, especially in lockdown, of a teenager and a parent. So I think that when everyone's calmed down, maybe sort of an hour, half an hour later, when you feel that ready to deal with it, when they feel ready to deal with it, then I think you should come together and just have a kind of like, can we now talk in a, in a reasonable way about what just happened there and, and how we can move forward and what your suggestions are for, you know, for how, what you want to upload. And if there's a problem, what we can talk about, what, what we can do to make this better. I think that's a better way of doing it than leaving it. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say in all of these moments, you are the grown up. Therefore, the responsibility lies with you to make it better. It's never the responsibility of your teenager to make it better. That doesn't mean that they can't apologise and reflect and, you know, think about things that they could have done differently. But at the end of the day, if there's a crossroads and you're thinking, oh my gosh, we're about to go and loop back into this argument, you're the adult, you're the one who has the responsibility to say, tell you what, let's just leave this for now, let's move on to something different, we'll agree to disagree, I'm feeling quite cross, but 
and I know see you're feeling quite cross too but let's just leave it for now and let's go and do something completely different um and and that's hard to do that is hard to do because sometimes you're so annoyed and frustrated and saddened and you're tired and you're stressed that you know you can just loop into it as much as your teenager can but I say you're the adult yeah I mean I think in all of parenting teenagers it takes an amazing amount of self-restraint self-discipline knowing yourself and then also I think if anything I know about being a parent of a teenager it's actually what you don't say it's leaving those kind of it, it's 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 sort of resisting those temptations to say the things that are on your mind but actually in this for, for the sake of being that adult for the sake of being that more, more mature person you know and timing is so important in, in being a parent of a teenager knowing when to say those things waiting till it's calmed down choosing a neutral moment not jumping in at the time where everything is just going to be made worse so yeah timing self-control these are all things that we need to sort of practice practice but we don't always get it right you know and and everything that you said I agree with you know I can see absolutely that that it is the right thing to do but you know I can also put my hand up as a mother of in the last 10 years that I've not always acted in totally the right way I've maybe snapped I've maybe said something that was too emotive and too blamey and actually I suppose the other thing that's really important is is then also apologizing when you have screwed up as a parent when you have you know gone off in a sulk and expected your eight-year-old to apologize and then you realize that that's absolutely not the right thing to do to put your hands up and say I'm sorry I shouldn't have cried or I shouldn't have reacted that way or I shouldn't have shouted I hate you back or whatever it was and then you're modeling to them that when you do mess up which all of us do at every single every single week of our lives that you know it's not the end of the world that you can apologize and and I think that's probably a really really important lesson to teach them an opportunity to teach them that lesson too by by you know modeling something that you know I know a lot of pet adults who find it very difficult to say the word sorry and to admit that they didn't necessarily do the right thing absolutely it is incredibly difficult and then I think you don't want your teenager growing up with a perfect parent I mean a there's no such thing as perfection anyway but what kind of you know if we go back to the idea that actions speak louder than words what kind of messages are we giving to our teenagers when we're being perfect you know we're we're setting themselves up to fail really setting them up to fail so I think being able to to mess up and bumble your way through and say the wrong thing and be over emotional at times is so important but like you say it's the repairing of that afterwards it's the saying whoa sorry I was just so tired and stressed and I knew I had these three emails that I had to send and oh I was just a bit whatever really sorry about that can we retake that one then I think that's that's such an important learning lesson for your teenager because they see all these adults as finished products and they assume they've never had a problem, they've never been anxious, they've never messed up. And however much you say to them, oh, yes, you know, I messed up when I was young, they, they're probably thinking, yeah, yeah. So to see you mess up, in inverted commas, um, really important. And, and do you think it's important? I mean, I know that we as adults shouldn't hark on about what it was like for us as teenagers, but is it worth maybe initiating a conversation to say, oh, God, I remember as a teenager, a bit like, you know, talking about crushes, laughing about that, or just maybe showing that vulnerability, telling them stories about how you were sort of vulnerable once and, and, you know, times that you've messed up and you thought it was terrible, but actually it wasn't. And it's something that you can kind of learn from or even laugh about now. Is, is that quite a good thing? Or do they just not want to hear about when you messed up as a teenager? I think my, my children love hearing about my mistakes now. I learned from them, you know. I often tell them the time I was 15 in a coma from drinking whiskey, you know what I mean? And I think that... <laughs> Um, 
but I don't do it in an advisory capacity. I wouldn't do it when they come back from a party and they were drunk. I would sort of do it in the part of the general discourse of family life. You know, I think what we have is an ability to give them perspective. Do you see what I mean? And just put things in context a little bit more. So yeah, not in a kind of this is how it was in my day and that's what you should be learning from, but more like oh, this is what I've learned and take what you will from it. And I I, I hope you see I've learned some learned from it. Well, and now you say that, I sort of look to my children and I think their favourite part of lockdown, the time that they have laughed the most, was when I, I, I drank the, the water that had been used to wash the watercolour brushes, thinking it was apple juice. I mean, they laughed for about a week about that. <laughs> and maybe it was just that. It was that realisation that this, this, this sort of perfect sort of creation, I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but, you know, in, in children's eyes, parents are, is also fallible, can do silly things. And also that they were, they were initially a bit worried, mummy, you're going to die. I was like, no, no, it's only watercolour, they're not toxic. <laughs> but it was so lovely for them to realise that we all mess up. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think the the tone and the lightness with which we talk about our past or which we, you know, treat our current mistakes, that's so important for our kids to see as well. That actually everything's manageable, really, even drinking watercolour water. <laughs> One final question. I was recording, I think last week or the week before with the psychologist Linda Blair, and we were talking about sibling relationships. And one of the things she said was that it's very, you know, it's not about how compatible your children are and how, how, how good friends they are. It's about the intensity of that relationship. And very often when siblings have a very intense relationship and they fight a lot, they have a very intense relationship and friendship when they're grown up. Do you think that could be equated to the parent-child relationship when the child's going through the teenage years that often quite intense relationships turn then into close, mutually respectful, but honest relationships? Or is that just me clutching at straws and hoping that turbulent teenage years might, there might be a, a reward at the end of it? I, I think there's this personality. So for example, I know with a lot of parents I speak to, the things that annoy them most in their teenagers is the very same thing that annoys them most in themselves. So they can't stand it when their teenager is acting in a way that they know they would act and they're trying to sort of fight against that and that's why they get into sort of loops of arguments and intense emotion around that. So I think that, and that does mean then that, you know, as you get older you might, you know, get on better because you've got similar ways of dealing with things. But I do think it's different to siblings because you know, a parent and a child, you're never going to be best friends. That's not the point of the relationship. It's about you bringing them into this world, guiding them through the first bit, and then just watching from the sidelines as they get on with their life, you know. And that that's a very different kind of relationship to siblings or friendships. So I think intensity means there's a lot of care and love there, but I think intensity doesn't necessarily, you know, um, guarantee you'll have a great time afterwards. <laughs> but I like that. I like that sentiment that intensity does mean that there's a lot of care of love there. And actually, I guess if your child is at least taking the time and energy to engage with you, however that engagement looks, they at least care. It's better than disinterest, yeah, and dislike. So yeah, it's definitely better than that. Good. Well, thank you both for your time. I really, really appreciate it. I've absolutely loved reading your book of What Does My Teenager Think? I wholeheartedly recommend it. It's out now and it answers all the questions you have, but also a whole lot of questions you didn't realise you had in really a succinct way. So thank you so much. It's a, it's a great tool and I can't wait to recommend it and, and delve into it more. Brilliant. Thank you both. 
Thank you for downloading another episode of The Parenthood. So you don't miss an episode, do make sure you're subscribed. And for the day-to-day on what I'm recording, do follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, thanks for listening and good luck with those teenagers.